welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Judy Mikovits. This podcast is really informative. It's really science heavy. Uh, Dr. Mikovits is such a wealth of knowledge. I really wanted to interrupt her when she was giving us such valuable information about how retroviruses are really at the root of the chronic illnesses we are seeing in today's um, patient population that we see every day at Sophia Health Institute. And so please stick with us. Um, I'm going to listen to this podcast myself a second time. And um, there's just so much uh, great information here. And I hope that you enjoy it. Welcome, Dr. Mikovits. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Well, Dr. Mikovits um, and I got to know each other um, when you came to Sophia Health Institute and really shared a wealth of knowledge that you have been um, you know, sitting on for a long time with your discovery and, um, you know, resources and solutions for how retroviruses impact all these chronic diseases that we see at a clinic like Sophia Health Institute. So you've really um, spiked a whole new, um, you know, curiosity and innovation in our treatment plans. And we've been really um, pleasantly surprised to see when adding these retroviral protocols, some of our most stuck patients are seeing the improvement that we want for them. So we are so grateful to you and your research and your knowledge and sharing that with us. Oh, thanks so much. Well, I, I thought we could just dive in and um, because of the you know work that you've been doing about educating you know the public and practitioners, I know Dr. Mercola just did an excellent interview with you. A lot of people are catching on to this idea about retroviruses, but for people who are listening to us today and Uh, this is a new topic. Um, Can you just give us a brief introduction to what retroviruses are and how um, they may be relevant to somebody who has a chronic disease? Well, retroviruses are viruses that um, actually integrate. That is, they get into your DNA of the cell that they've infected, um, and and they stay there really for the life of the cell. And in fact, um, in in some cases, if they infect stem cells or other long-lived memory cells, as in the immune system, um, they can really stay for generations. So uh, retroviruses are about 8,000 base pairs. So they're very, very small. And, and, and what they do is their RNA, they, they have a hybrid genome, their nucleic acid is both RNA and DNA, and they reverse transcribe their DNA back, I mean, their RNA back into DNA. That's why they're called retro. It's their, their, normally the central dogma of molecular biology is that we go from RNA to DNA to protein, and the proteins do the function. But in the last 40 years of my career, we've learned that, um, in fact, um, you can go backwards to um, RNA, and those micro RNAs are, are, are actually regulatory and very important. So they a function of their own. So essentially 15%, but but retroviruses from other animals and even plants are really important in the evolution of species. and, and when I was um, first studying the, this in high school and college, um, they used to just be called transposons um, or, you know, the, the endogenous retroviruses. So what we learned when we sequenced the genome or what we learned even earlier than that is a, approximately eight to 
15% of all of our DNA is um, viral elements, that is retroviral elements, pieces and parts um, of, of retroviral elements that have been silenced and, and they're in our DNA and they can be expressed. And when they're expressed, they dysregulate um, the other gene functions. So if they're expressed, they can dysregulate micro or regulatory RNAs that then go back and turn on and off uh, various uh, gene expression in the systems to either, you know, suppress tumors or promote tumors. We call them oncogenes, tumor suppressor genes. Well, well those transposable elements, as it were, um, are, are really the endogenous retroviruses. Um, we, we distinguish those from exogenous retroviruses, meaning coming from within is endogenous <coughs> and coming from the outside. So uh, anim, uh, a cow retrovirus, the one we worked with a lot, is bovine leukemia virus. So there is a bovine leukemia virus that looks a lot like the first human disease-causing retrovirus that used to be called human T-cell leukemia virus. That's the virus that Frank Rossetti and Bernie Poise isolated back in 1980 and started the entire field of human retrovirology because previously it was thought that um, humans didn't have infectious and in, in, in transmissible retroviruses. That is, um, and other animal retroviruses couldn't and didn't infect humans. So they couldn't cause the same diseases that, that they're associated with contributing to or causing in animals. So the endogenous um, retroviruses are just pieces and parts. And, and some people say 5% of the genome, it's getting a lot higher and a lot of that reason that it's getting a lot higher is because of the tissue, the animal tissue that we're injecting into um, um, people in, in vaccinations. And, and of course, um, contamination of blood supplies over the year was a major, over the years or decades, was found to be a major contributing factor to HIV getting into the human population. The, the relative of HIV was called simian immune deficiency virus. So it doesn't, um, it's an endogenous retrovirus that doesn't cause disease in animals, but when what we call zoonosis occurs, when, when something comes from the animal um, uh, into the human and, and comes to infect the human, um, then it's called um, exogenous, um, uh, an exogenous retrovirus, and it and it adapts to the human. It learns to infect the human cells without killing them. In the in the human, when the SIV jumped species is is the colloquial way to say it. When they jump species, it's um, that that's when they start to cause disease, primarily because those viruses are being expressed. The reverse transcriptase is put is reverse transcribing their RNA genomes into DNA genomes and and then integrating, and they integrate. Um, not necessarily random, but they can integrate into hot spots or into cells that are actively dividing. So a retrovirus has to use all of your cellular machinery. So if your genes aren't expressed, if those cells aren't expressing, then um, then um, those 
um, those retroviruses aren't being expressed. So and what my, uh, our hypothesis has been along for, for many years, which was reinforced in the whole recent um, uh, uh, XMRV, MLV, marine leukemia virus, um, I don't even know what you call it, scandal, is the whole, the whole idea that here we found in 2009, we isolated infectious transmissible. So that's the most important part of our paper that was that this was the first time that the it, that these retroviruses had been isolated from humans. They were clearly not humans. They were very clo closely related to marine leukemia viruses. And interesting, those marine leukemia viruses um, cause leukemia by their name and also were, were associated with diseases like Alzheimer's, um, like Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's disease. Um, we then went on to show uh, a number of cancers and, and the very, um, um, damaging, um, myalgic encephalomyelitis. Well, and, and things like that. Well, the expression and the activation of the retroviruses, either endogenous or exogenous, um, can can lead to recombination events as they're expressed and they recombine um, with with you know several processes of reco recombination that occur in our bodies all the time in our cells. So it's um, what what has been been recognized now is it simply because we've been injecting pieces of very large pieces of DNA in vaccines, um, contaminants of the cell lines that were growing um, the, the, vi the viruses in just say MMR, which are three RNA viruses, which aren't retroviruses. So in making vaccines, you have to grow the, the pathogen in, in other cells that can support their growth. So with the murine leukemia viruses, then of course, we isolated them from many diseases, from children, from humans, and showed that we could take the one we isolated and infect another person and in fact cause the same disease. And this is how the process went with human, with uh, uh, associating um, HTLV, the human T cell leukemia viruses that are very closely related Related to the bovine leukemia viruses. So there's the idea that the bovine leukemia viruses are associated with breast cancers, leukemias, just like HTLV-1, neuroimmune diseases. HTLV-1 is associated with what, what used to be called um, tropical spastic paraparesis or HTLV associated myelopathy. So what happens is they infect, you know, um, the cells and cause a multiple sclerosis like disease where the patients, um, can't walk. They're walking in canes. Um, and it wasn't really associated with HTLV-1 infection for many years because all we were thinking about were the leukemias. And we and so the bovine um, leukemia viruses um, um, actually are also associated with breast cancers and diseases in cows where they like fall down in the field. 
and so the the so the the cows get um, diseases. The sheep, which are uh, um, transmit lentiviruses, lots and lots and lots of diseases associated and and closely related out in the farms, out in the fields to clusters of disease where people begin getting sick, and it's this process where it jumps from an animal species to a human. Um, that um, that the and, and and the inability of the human um, immune system to silence the retrovirus, and now we know that the endocannabinoid system is also very important in retrovirus infections. Many many of the receptors and molecules of the endocannabinoids are channels and um, GP the um, G protein link receptors, so they're channels, and these retroviruses actually get in through the channel. So in the case of XMRV, the, the, um, the entry molecule, the receptor, is called XPR1, and it's a phosphate transporter. So that's phosphate is critical in the regulation of proteins um, and their expression and their function in our bodies. Um, a whole whole fields and drugs are made to 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 look at phosphate um, signaling and modifications. Um, and and so now we know that. If a cell is infected with XMRV, it's entering through a phosphate transporter or calcium transporters or potassium transporters. So we can start to think about um, how all of the electrical signaling is changed. And it really is at an energy level. It's really all about positive and negative charge. So therapies that we've developed over the year, uh, over the years have the um, similar common attributes of either stopping the activation of the immune system so the meth so that the retrovirus stays silent it's the same in Lyme and Borrelia keep it in the cyst inactive undetective not dispressed form and and keep the homeostasis the balance between the immune system um, and 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 the the machinery we learned one perhaps one of the most important um, pathways of silencing retroviruses are uh, is DNA methylation and that's not the MTHFR and protein methylation there are a lot of ways um, of signaling where we put methyl groups on protein proteins and things. It's, it's the DNA methylation that's critical to keeping retrovirus um, um, silence. And, and we, we learned this um, back, in, back in the 80s and early 90s and work we did with Stephen B. Balin, really an expert in um, methylation and, and um, in the machinery. So what I did in um, for you know, 20 years of my career back um, uh, January 1st was the first day, 1999, 20 years ago, I started as the director of the um, Lab of Antiviral Drug Mechanisms at the um, National Cancer Institute. And our charge was just to develop therapies for retroviral associated cancers. But And, and what happens is you get the expression in, in the first cancer was Kaposi's sarcoma. Because Kaposi's sarcoma um, 
we knew it only to be um, infecting old men in the southern tip of Italy. We didn't know it was a herpes virus associated with it, um, mainly because that herpes virus stays methylated and is silenced. Um, and it was only when AIDS patients, um, B cells, T cells, and methylation machinery, HIV AIDS patients, got dysregulated, did that virus become expressed and it was isolated uh, by Patrick Moore um, and his colleagues, I forgot her name, um, uh, you know, right, right when we found the sickest of AIDS patients. So now you have crosstalk between pathogens. So in, in our work with the XMRVs, we found um, significant crosstalk between the activation of, say, Borrelia and Babesia, and this is what uh, Dr. Klinghardt also um, recognized, um, is that, um, you know, they, they travel together, you know, so if, if one pathogen um, inactivates part of the immune system and another pathogen allows the expression of the retroviruses, everybody wants to, to survive. So it's like fighting a war on a couple of fronts. So if you can keep the retrovirus from being activated, um, then you can keep the disease from progressing or, and you can actually go into a remission of the neuroinflammation um, um, caused by um, the, the, the combination really of the expression. So in our book, Plague, um, uh, that we talked about at length in the Mercola article, we had a chapter as we were doing research in the Borrelia um, with, with the um, Lyme disease and those who didn't recover from a course of um, antibiotics or several or, or different treatments, it was usually because the retrovirus wasn't recognized, the, the, the leukemia virus wasn't recognized as, as playing a role. And it's, it's really important to think about these things is you don't need an infectious and transmissible retrovirus. All you need is that endogenous transposable element, that viral element piece and part that's been integrated in your genome into, into your DNA for, for tens of millions of years. But when the, when the exogenous retrovirus comes in, um, and integrates right next to it, then they're talking to each other every time they're activated. And this becomes really important when you think about reservoirs of the disease, particularly in the brain, because the most retroviruses can't infect. Um, HIV doesn't infect brain capillary endothelial cells, XMRV does. And, and it, it, it's damages it in distance, as we say, um, and, but, but both pathogens um, disrupt the blood-brain barrier, disrupt the mast cells, disrupt the astrocytes and the microglia. So it's really the communication of the immune system that's disrupted. And, and that's really where all our treatments go. Let's, let's use methylation modulators um, that we, so we developed these drugs there in the lab of antiviral drug mechanisms. So we developed in the earliest days of HIV, we were looking at plant products um, because that was, that was my job. We would extract natural products um, and, and test them in systems to silence, either silence retroviruses or normalize inflammatory pathways. So we've always... So it, 
the in in any of these diseases in HTLV1 we knew with the with the neurological disease tropical spastic paraparesis all we had to do was put them on steroids and they got out of the wheelchair suppress generally all activation of immune cells and, and the immune cells won't attack do collateral damage while they're trying to kill the retroviruses because some of the it, the inflammatory genes that's their job go there and stop the damage once the tissue is repaired recognize injury and go fix it and so this is um i i think that's a very long-winded <laughs> no you're brilliant judy i don't ever want to interrupt you and i um you know you put um made so many great insights that i want to just take a step back and um, flesh out for some of our listeners who this might be informa- new information for. So um, you basically explain the difference between endogenous and exogenous retroviruses. And endogenous, we can inherit, but they have, and they're part of our uh, DNA that we all, you know, uh, come to the planet with, but they can be uh, triggered and exposed to um, you know, by things like vaccinations and even other exogenous retroviruses that come into our system. And so um, you you made this point, but I just would love for you to share a little bit more. What? How are people getting exposed to the exogenous uh, retroviruses? Is it mainly through vaccinations and the way that the viruses are grown with the, um, the animal uh, tissue and that foreign DNA, or are there other exposures since this is, um, as you said, infectious and transmissible to get these exogenous retroviruses um, in our bodies? Well, you know, until until recently, um, I, I would have said I, I would have said mainly vaccinations because of the sheer numbers. But what I'm now started to realize is concomitantly at the same time as that we've got to think about we're vaccinating our animals Hmm. um, eating the food so there are a number of papers that that a friend made um, me aware of that were old papers that I was aware of before but the whole idea of poultry science so yes we use we use eggs um we use eggs in, um, uh, in, in, in making MMR vaccines, measles, mumps, flu, whatever. Whatever we use, we use eggs in making a number of vaccines as well as animal cell lines. Um, so what, what happens is, is eggs have three bird avian retroviruses. And normally their endogenous retroviruses are not expressed. But because now our animals have heavy um, um, vaccinations and antibiotic use, which um, which my- changes your microbiome, and your microbiome is a critical part of um, regulating the expression of endogenous elements as well, and just the the dysregulated gene expression. So now you can go in and look at FDA and look it into poultry science journals and see, um, in fact, that the um, retroviruses are being expressed. So now you can eat them. Because if they're expressed, they get into your, so now you can eat them. You know, you, you, if you cook an egg, 
the D and, and the retrovirus isn't expressed. It's it's um it's just DNA, and that DNA won't be transmitted because you're eating it, and it goes through your immune system in your gut, and that's where you're you've got all of the mechanisms to degrade these. That is, break them down. We use RNases which break down RNA, DNases which break down the DNA. Um, so they're usually cleared, so you wouldn't necessarily eat as um, eat as much, but now our gut microbiomes and our guts are so leaky um, from, um, you know, a lot of the toxins, glyphosate and things like that. Dr. Stephanie Seneff and I have been working a long time to understand how glyphosate, which is a glycine molecule with a phosphate group on it. Um, so you take your most flexible amino acid and you put the, a phosphate group on it and, and that changes its flexibility. It gets incorporated into proteins and you've messed up the proteins. Well, we've, we've found a lot of work where that the glyphosate is also um, <clears throat> dysregulating or keeping retroviruses from being turned off, from being silenced by the immune system. So I, I think our food is also now a major source of contributors to zoonosis of um, animal and plant retroviruses. Plant has retroviruses too. So when we grow, when we grow um, genes and, and, and make some of these recombinant drugs in tobacco plants, you're pulling different kinds of retroviruses and they're, they're you know, they, they, they do main functions, but when they get inserted into the wrong place and, and by definition, a, a, a cow virus in a person is not going to be a good outcome. And, and we see that in, in the most society of people. Of course, all people don't have problems at all, and that's probably just in relationship to the sheer number. So the vaccines today, just the sheer number of these liability-free vaccines that are mandated to be injected at, at critical times when we're developing that gut microbiome, when our methylation machinery is very busy in growth processes, bone development, stem cells, um, like people puberty and, and, and a lot of this, um, we're dysregulating the expression of the retroviruses and the endocannabinoid system and the immune system kind of all at one time. So primarily it's the vaccines and, and a very close second, um, it's other contributing factors from contaminated food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a new insight for me. And that makes sense because, um, you know, as you've explained, these retroviruses are at the root of the increase in neurological diseases that we're seeing and also at the root of cancers that are only increasing, um, you know, during our, our lifetime now. And so it makes sense that um, if we've evolved with these retroviruses, why are we seeing more illnesses? And it's the multiple um, exposures that we're constantly being bombarded with. Is that correct? From the immune activation. So in every one of the studies, they say, yeah, the vaccines are bad because you can't do maternal immune activation uh, with an infection. Well, why would you inject and, and cause the same thing? So it's the immune activation of the, of, of the endogenous elements. We've, we've um, crippled our, our DNA methylation machinery. We've used up all the, the S methionine is in our food. It's, it's required in food. 
and and now we've got where protein methylation and folic acid in that cycle is 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 dysregulated. So you run out of substrate to silence all the retroviruses and every piece of DNA and bacterial. Um, um, source has what's called CPG. It's a, it's a cytosine next to uh, the, the guanine, and there's a phosphate in between. That's the site in your ATCD, in your nucleic acid, that gets methylated. So it's C before G, um, and, and pathogens have naked CPGs. So this is why they're used. So just last year, the ACIP, or maybe it was, I don't even know what it was, the, the um, Council on Immune Practices, the Academy of Immune Practices, said, oh, we're going to add a new adjuvant to, this, to the scene, and, and it's basically CPG. And so we're going to take even more of our methylation machinery and cause the expression of the transposable elements. Just and so this is, I mean, it, it is it is a nightmare um, in in the communication of your immune system and your endocannabinoid system are, are essentially just um, are, are just slowly destroyed. We call it accelerating the disease engine. So you want to keep from immune activating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and that's the important thing. And that's why until very recently, you, we didn't vaccinate HIV infected people. Now we're saying, oh, we can cure them that way. And what I'm saying is, oh, you didn't kill them the first time. I'm, reading, I'm also reading the latest versions of nature and science. And what do we see now? So some commentaries in nature said, um, oh, um, we have are jumping genes the cause of Alzheimer's? Hmm. Well, isn't that what I said in 2009, 10, 11, when I made that slide showing the damage at a distance with the microglia and the macrophages holding the latent? Uh, oh, and didn't I put Alzheimer's? Isn't that what marine leukemia viruses do? Well, now they're just calling them jumping genes, transposable elements. So I want your audience to hear how the language changes. And just January, well, maybe December, in um, the um, one of the Nature um, Review journals, they talked about transmissible <laughs> Alzheimer's. Mm. And so, so the language doesn't change. Well, what does that? Oh, retroviruses. Oh, or pieces and parts of retroviruses. If you're injecting them and you're bypassing the gut immunity, if you're bypassing the skin, all bets are off and your macrophages can't do your job and clear them. So generally when you eat them, it's not an issue, but we're also disrupting our guts and, and our primary immune defense, our skin. Think about how many of these vaccines cause these horrific skin eruptions um, and, and, and things which are you know highly inflammatory so that it's totally activated and on. And you've got any number of cells expressing any number of retroviruses in those situations. And you made, you know, a lot of um, people who are listening to this, um, might, and I always say I'm an optimist, even in light of what we <laughs> see on the front line of um, what people are going through with their health, um, that, you know, we can ultimately, you know, say that probably no one is, um, you know, not going to be exposed to exogenous retroviruses at this point, unless you 
you know, live in a bubble, but just because of the food contamination and the vaccine exposure and all of the things that you've shared. And so there is this idea of immune modulation where, you know, often what we've said in our practices that we're not going to get rid of every bug or every virus. The goal is not to kill all of these things, but to rather silence them. And how do we live in, um, or how do we um, get our immune system um, to not be um, overreactive um, as you've shared. And so um, how, um, let's really dive into the endocannabinoid system as you already shared, but how do we um, maybe leverage this system to help support our immune system so we're not symptomatic or we're not on this path of disease acceleration. Yeah, the important thing to 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 remember, you know, the endocannabinoid system has really only been described in detail since the early 90s, since 94, you know, a full 15 years after HTLV-1 and HIV. So um, we're only now, as, as I mentioned, going back and looking at retroviruses with an eye on the endocannabinoid system. So we know very well that um, now that the endocannabinoid, let's just say, has a cannabinoid receptor number one, CB1 and CB2. The CB1s are primarily in the brain. The CB2s are primarily in the immune system. Um, CB1 is, um, um, is on mesenchymal stem cells. So this goes all the way to stem cell biology when we start thinking of, of um, the endocannabinoid system and how retroviruses can dysregulate um, it at the level of of the stem cell and and certainly um, since CB2, which is the um, which is the receptor that's primarily in the immune system, um, you know, in in the gut that that we just talked about. So that that is on what we call the hematopoietic, the blood stem cell. So from the stem cell that makes your blood and has to regenerate every single day, 10 to the ninth or so, we think about stem cells in the colonic epithelia. And we know that we turn over a lot of the colonic epithelia in our feces every day. And so, and the mesenchymal stem cells, again, end up being brain muscle neuron interaction. So it's, it's the communication um, and that we, we know that, um, that the that the that the retroviruses are altering the expression of the the immune activation will will activate inflammatory molecules like interleukin one beta. Um, it, um, IL-6, interleukin-6, this whole TH17 to T regulatory cell axis. So you regulate and you, you, you use immune suppression um, when, the when the danger is cleared. But if the danger isn't cleared and you go in this relapsing relenting mode where it's, um, I like to say, whack-a-mole, which it becomes expression, your immune system goes after it and, and clears and silences it. And then another one comes up over here in another tissue. So you're, you're in a constant inflamed state. And we know what those cytokine and chemokine patterns are. They're, they're a key to our discoveries. They were the key to associating retroviruses with MECFS and autism because it's those same 
overlapping same cytokines and chemokines. It's IL-1 beta is a key in neuroinflammation. Our IL-1 beta is now known to be a key in cardiovascular disease, in heart attacks. So it's the inflammation that is driving, say, when these kids are dying on athletic fields because they're, they're in a major growth spurt and, you know, and everything is on, um, and, and, and then you hammer them with a Gardasil or, or a, a DTAP or some vaccination. So, the, you know, really the first thing we need to do is, is stop. I mean, the annual flu shot, the pneumococcal, they're just loading them all up. So, as you said, the level of exposure and key critical times, if you have a strong immune system, you, you likely, um, you know, didn't even rec- realize um, infectious and transmissible retrovirus in the few vaccines we got starting, um, you know, back in, um, I'm 60 years old. So I got two things, smallpox and uh, polio. Mm -hmm. And so, and it wasn't injected, it was ingested. So again, they're not as dangerous depending on the delivery. So with the endocannabinoid system, um, what we're seeing is that um, THC, that's the psychoactive um, actually regulates and can modulate the um, CB2 receptor on the hematopoietic stem cell. So just as TGF-beta can, there's a crosstalk between the very important regulator, TGF-beta, um, which controls hematopoiesis and is critical, as you know from much of your work, Richie Shoemaker's work in, in, in chronic Lyme disease and all of these things, um, you know, TGF-beta dysregulation. And it's really a dysregulation, which is why we often don't test for it. But when we do, we use patterns, we use, we look at 20 or 30 molecules at a time and we look it up and down and we look at it at the same time and from the same tissue to get an idea of of where the dysregulation is and then you can come in and you know literally just you know turn off inhibit IL-1 so we now know that the big lie we've been told that cholesterol um, is is the key to cardiac disease and heart attack is um, not true at all. It's inflammation. So it's inflammation, 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 and 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 real estate location, location, location. Mm-hmm. It's the fire, and how do you put it out? And so that's what medicine. That's what um, you've done so well, and and others who appreciate um, what what's been said. It's we we don't fight the bugs because the. The bugs are at war and peace, and I'll I'll send you this paper again. War and peace among the uh, among the microbes, <laughs> and it's something that was published somewhere around 2008. As as my colleagues in HIV, um, the the first author was Andreas Lisko, and the last author was I, I forgot, but it's um. But these are friends we worked with in HIV. So as we applied what we saw in the associations with HTLV one, so there is a there is a dementia associated with HIV called uh, HIV-associated neurodegenerative disease, HAND, H-A-N-D. And I know you know when we first isolated the XMRVs and, saw, and showed the neuro disease, we called it ZAND, X-A-N-D. And the government quickly made that go away because it, we were correct. Um, but... Um, <laughs> But the idea with hand and HIV-associated neurodegenerative disease is it's not the expression of the retrovirus. So 
in all of our studies, we only look at the expression. It's not that it's there, it's that it's expressed. And, and, and most of our drugs don't work directly virucidally. They don't just kill the bug. They talk to the immune system and the immune system does its job. So nutritionally, um, the drug Bakelin, Scutellaria bakelinus georgii, was the actual strain of the plant that we tested. It limits the inflammatory cytokines. Um, uh, it limits the entry of the molecules to infect new cells. Um, the drug Suramin, which is a synthetic drug, it's basically a very um, large um, molecule which has a a lot of positive charges or a lot of negative charges. So it acts like a sponge. So the retroviral charges get um, stopped before they interfere with the cell membranes, before they can get a chance to dysregulate the signaling of the DNA. So, so fascinating as we go back and look at Suramin, which is a hundred year old drug, which not inconsequentially was used for and is still used for African sleeping sickness. So you got one of the places where HIV was endogenous, just like um, Kaposi sarcoma virus didn't used to be in the United States. It was the southern tip of Italy. But now we're, we're not only bringing in retroviruses, but and, and many, many, many are disrupting the signaling of the endocannabinoid system. So the endocannabinoid system, I mean, we focused on TGF-beta and I can certainly send a slideshow I just gave for CME for, for MDs. And what we were doing is showing them the crosstalk between the immune signaling and regulating it with the appropriate cannabinoids. And by, by, by saying appropriate, um, uh, it's, it's the right molecule or, or family of molecules, group of molecules, and in the right place at the right time. So we'll deliver a lot of cancer medications that are heavy in psychoactive THC. We'll deliver that via suppositories because that's where most of the CB2 receptors are in the lower gut, in the bone marrow, at the heart of the bone marrow there. So you can you're you're going to even though the affinity the the magnet is stronger for the ones in the brain so if you deliver it by ingesting it or putting it sublingually or, or even smoking it it's going to make you high but it's going to deliver essentially no thc to the hematopoietic stem cell to deliver it so so you to to um regulate it to get it to stop the damage so um thc can turn on tgf beta um which then has a, sorry about the science, a negative feedback loop where it turns off the stem cell. So it will stop the immune activation indirectly, THC. But too much will turn on the stem cell because you overwhelm the balance of, of the TGF beta. So it's complicated, but it's no more complicated than any plant medicine um, that we've been doing for thousands of years. We, um, uh, you know, this is this is what this is what we do. Um, you know, for ball esters, you know, this is what we do in cancer research. It's interesting. We looked at the incidence of HIV infection, in the, and this is a paper that we published um, probably a decade ago, where we looked at the incidence of HIV infection across Africa, and it's essentially the same. 
But in Northern Africa, I'm just making this up, they die 10 times faster than Southern Africa. I don't know which part of Africa it was. But we were in the fermentation chemistry program with, with um, Dave Newman, who um, went around the world um, and pulled samples of plants, of soils, of other things. And we basically said, look, why don't we hypothesize? We called it... Um, um, why don't we hypothesize that that there's something that the people in Northern Africa are eating that are, is activating their HIV such that they get sick, or there's something that um, the, in Southern Africa they're eating or drinking that is silencing their viruses so they get well. So Dr. Newman went and went through the repository in the various locations, and we did a whole genome screen, and we published this, I don't even know when, it was years after we did the work because nobody believed it. Um, it was <laughs> Some of the technology. I've had this happen with a lot of papers. I don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> so, um, at, at any rate, um, that's exactly what happened. They were eating a plant that was rich in a four-ball ester, and that was activating the pathway um, that was expressing um, the, the, the phosphate transporters and, and expressing the NF-kappa B in the nucleus and turning on the inflammatory cytokine. So it, if, you, if you think very simplistically in that way and look at, you know, just, and, and that's why we don't test for pathogens because it's not the incidence, it's the expression. It's, it's, it's what they're doing to your immune system and your methylation and your endocannabinoid system. So if you turn on the expression of these pathogens and their entry into the cell is, is via a cannabinoid receptor, you're going to dysregulate and cause pain syndromes. So pain syndromes are, no, are normally going to be CBDs um, and only inflammatory pain syndromes like rheumatoid arthritis or those kinds of, because there's lots of different kinds of pain. So that's what we've been, um, you know, and that's a nociception and anti-emetic and all of these things are, are something that is central to um, the endocannabinoid system and its regulation. And I think it's really the fact that since the early 1930s, um, we've, we've taken the plant and we've taken the use of these. This used to be our medicine. We had tincture after tincture after tincture from Upjohn, um, a company I worked for in the past of uh, cannabis, you know. So you take the hemp and you use the CBDs for pain. You use uh, uh, a lotion or um, to stop um, uh, dermatitis to stop. Um, you, you'll use one that might even have THC in it from um, cannabinoids to, um, to to deal with inflammatory um, um, psoriasis and things like this, which which have an inflammatory component. So it's really thinking about the use of the plant and going back to good old-fashioned medicine, because what we basically found is the recombinant technology is actually causing a great deal of dysregulation of our genes, of animal genes, of plant genes. So the food we eat, these recombinant foods, are dangerous because they're allowing the aberrant expression of, of lots of things, not just retroviruses, and, and they're not really food sources. And I'll, I gave a talk on that back in 2013, and I laugh now when I see how complex that talk was. <laughs> <laughs> 
this morning. I'll, I'll put that, I'll send you that talk again so that you can see there's one critical paper that Stephanie Seneff gave to me where GMOs were linked to all of these processes. So we have to think about any genetically modified organism, um, you know, because they're not an adequate food source and there's been dysregulation to our immune system. Um, and, and, and our endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Judy, I mean, again, so much great information here. Tell, um, for the average listener who is, you know, dealing with a chronic illness and not seeing, you know, the results that they would like to see, obviously we need to um, encourage them to look at this retroviral, um, you know, immune expression that's happening. Is there a good, um, I know that we've chatted um, as well, but I'd love for you to share um, is there any like good objective lab information that paints this picture that people can, you know, ask, start asking maybe their, um, you know, Lyme literate doctor or their doctor who's open to looking at these things to guide them in um, demonstrating that this is happening in their in their immune system? Yeah, I think what we look at, and, and this is what I tell doctors, is one, look at dysregulated DNA methylation machinery. We've got whole genome assays for that. We made them back in epigenics in 2000 when I left the NCI uh, and, and got married. Uh, so uh, we, we, so, so the, the kind of tests, the kinds of things we've been doing in cancer, look at flow cytometry. For a doctor, diagnose myelodysplasia. That means dysregulation of the innate immune response. Do a flow cytometry assay and, and, and simply test for that. Um, look for integration hotspots. One is called TET2, and it's key um, in, in DNA methylation machinery. Um, and it's an integration hotspot of, of the viruses. And you can overcome a TET2 deficiency with intravenous vitamin C. And I can make all of those papers available to you. So there are indirect ways. And so looking at those inflammatory cytokines, we do it in cancer. We do it certainly in gastrointestinal cancers. We, we can look at the methylation machinery. And then if you really want to say retrovirus, there's a lot of, um, look, let's look at the primary ones like IRV-K, which actually makes a particle. Most, uh, most just make sequences. So IRV-K... Um, which is a beta retrovirus. It's not a gamma retrovirus. People said that's what we were looking at. We're a little bit smarter than that. There's, there's a HERB-W, which is a very interesting retrovirus, and its expression will give you essentially the same cytokine-chemokine profile. That's too much CCL2, um, MIP1-alpha, MIP1-beta, IL-1-beta, down-regulation of the interferons. So you get a down-regulation of your antiviral response, and I show that in a paper where cannabinoids, got, in, a, in a talk, where cannabinoids containing THC will actually turn back on your interferon response pathways, which is key to your innate immune system clearing retroviruses at the dendritic cell level, which was another one of Frank Rossetti's expertise in which we showed in the whole XMRV story. So we always look at the immune system and everything in HIV, lots of tests. You can look for reverse transcriptase, but right now it's difficult because the government... Um, 
reverse transcriptase is that first key enzyme. And you can look at that, but the government shut down these assays to practitioners because you can't um, uh, you can't get it covered by insurance, or you can't get them to allow you to do this because you know everybody knows these things don't have anything to do with autism or, or chronic Lyme or MECFS or whatever you call the disease, which is another problem. They're calling the same disease clinically different things um, just in order to to keep the, the 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 things confusing so that you can't treat or diagnose them. And of course, the gatekeepers are the insurance companies. So mm-hmm. I tell physicians always diagnose myelodysplasia because that's going to hit you to some. And you can really dig down because these are reticular endothelial viruses. A lot of the, the earliest families from, from the chicken eggs and things like that, they affect your red blood cells. So we all know by looking at red blood cells when they get sticky. So the, the platelet dysfunction in the disease called ITP, idiopathic thrombocytopenia, is a known risk of MMR vaccination. Well, we associated that with XMRV infection, and you can't get the RNA viruses out of the RNA vaccines, and, and retroviruses are RNA viruses. Can't get them out of there, can't filter them out of there. That's why the most likely place for where the retroviruses are doing the most damage transmission-wise is the um, the live viral vaccines because you attenuated ones because you can't get the retroviruses out of there without destroying the ability to activate the immune system which which is what a vaccine does so if we test for myelodysplasia um, there is an ICD um, nine code I don't know if it's in ten or eleven because of the controversy um, but there was a diagnostic code that that the AIDS community act up got legislated and it's called um uh, it's called other human retrovirus mm-hmm. so so you can do the tests for other human retrovirus um do tests for other human retroviruses like earth k and other things and insurance companies have to pay for it mm-hmm. and i don't like curve k because most of this isn't curve k um expression derived most of it is is really the, I mean, most of what we're seeing is the XMRV. So I, if you want to take the approach we took, look at everything common to a retrovirus. So look for reverse transcriptase. And that's an assay that I'm not sure if anybody does clinically. And then, um, Judy, this is great information. How about, would it be to... Um, non-specific to look at interleukins, or would that be helpful to paint the picture as well? Absolutely, because when I say flow cytometry, that's what we do. We look at interleukins. We published a chapter a couple of years ago that looked at all the cell subsets, so you can quickly see the dysregulation of the cell subset. You can quickly see if you've got more Th2 response. There's a test now that's called um, CHIP. Clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate prognosis, uh, prognosis, prognosis of but it's a chip assay. And what they're looking for is the balance of something called CD39 and 73. So CD39, it's the receptor for the immune suppressive adenosine, um, which, which leads you to have too much of a THD response. So absolutely, but the problem is looking at a tissue level. So if, if you're getting a snapshot and you're getting 10 or 15 cytokine, chemokines, and growth factors at a time, you 
can really target where the tissue problem is in the B cell compartment, you know, common variable immune deficiency. You know, that's a retroviral associated problem of integration of these retroviruses in the B cells. And, and we have a lot of work that they stopped from getting published, but I can show you the slides and the data because this is what's happening in 10 or 20% of the people. And these are people for whom rituximab or some of these other um, therapeutics um, might be indicated. So it's really important. I, I gave a talk to a, a TV show called Medical Hope a few weeks ago, and he only wanted to know about cannabis and cancer. And so we talked about that. And I said, you know, one of the things with, with Mr. Trump and changing the policy on, um, on, on using medicine, the right to try law. Mm -hmm. So the right to try in a terminal disease, well, these diseases are terminal. You know, if you're, if you're heading down the road of there is no treatment in ALS, in, in um, dementia and Alzheimer's, in, in Parkinson's, um, and you want to try a cancer drug based on the marker like the flow cytometry, like the cytokine and chemokines, you know, all of these are, you know, you can do it as flow cytometry. Luminex is, of course, a flow cytometry on a bead. Um, so I work with Pacific Biomarkers there in Seattle. Um, actually, I don't work with them, but a dear friend, um, um, Mary Beth Rains, um, happy to have her come to, to talk to you and come on the show because what she's done, um, um, and we've worked together since about 2003 developing, I was developing Luminex assays, and she was developing what we call companion diagnostics, you know, based on not only cytokines and chemokines, but also these, um, these other molecules that you target. And so all of these tests are available in the cancer world in the AIDS world, and, and that's why I keep saying these are acquired immune deficiencies. And so the, the, the work of Mike Leonardo, he's a AIDS former, one of our former colleagues in HIV AIDS, but he's focused in on the minerals, on the imbalance of calcium, zinc, magnesium. And so all of this, um, and, and therapeutically, there's a lot, as you know, we can do this, thinking even about things like NAD ribose and thinking about sirtuins and other family members and simple nutritional therapies that we anecdotally know work like the whole bone broth revolution. Well, you have to make sure you have clean bone broth so you're not causing more of a problem. Mm -hmm. Same thing with cannabis, and I can't stress it enough. You just can't take the plant. The, the plant's job is to detox all these heavy metals and things like that. So the, the plants detox from it, but if you eat it and it's in the lysozyme, you're ingesting it and you can get sick. So it's important really not um, to to um, smoke marijuana unless unless you know exactly um, what's in it, and we don't smoke it really, vape it or whatever, so that you understand um, how to use it and things like COPD, which again, all of all of the testing and uh, you know 99% of the testing um, for these docs is going to come out of creative creative use of AIDS drugs and cancer drugs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those diseases we're creating, and that, and that's that. Those are the the population experiments that we're doing, as as we know with vaccines. As we've ramped up, we see more and more. You know, and we make movies about it. Still, Alex. You know, really. <laughs> 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 
and we're getting things early and earlier. And this is that chip assay, clonal hematopoiesis indeterminate prognosis. It's because you're getting a clonality instead of a diversity in your immune response. And that, from our experience, is a bad thing always. And so we get the clonality that we lose the diversity in our microbiome. And this is why people are putting back probiotics. But if you put probiotics in and you haven't healed the gut, with something like fulvic, humic, restore, um, 40,000 volts, mineral products where you restore the minerals and you seal up the uh, tight junctions, you're just putting good bacteria in the wrong place, which is by definition bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) This is why it's so difficult to teach and think about this because we... We're like five-year-olds on a soccer field, um, and we run to the next miracle cure, and there really isn't a miracle cure. It's almost a stepwise fashion of recognizing, and and we did this successfully in HIV, which is why I keep talking about it, because the hope for for everybody in the patient population is when I started the LADM 20 years ago today or yesterday, I didn't think, I, I mean, I'm looking at antifacid and malignancies. I'm looking at the cancer with HIV. I'm looking at healthy people dropping like flies. I'm looking at cancer, 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 things we don't understand. And a virus that is replicating like mad, which is not what's happening with the XMRVs. And I'm thinking, how are we ever going to get a handle on this? But we did. And and we and we did it um, with the the same simple thought process as I'm telling you today. Think about the whole immune system. Think about making the terrain as healthy as possible. And and of course we had a lot of failures when somebody had mycoplasma and they had HIV. If you didn't deal with the mycoplasma, forget it. We, we had problem with TV. Forget the retrovirus destroying their immune system over a period of years. You've got to think about, you know, in the development of cancer and the development of all of these diseases, it's not an overnight phenomena. It's a stepwise dysregulation of the immune system that one day the straw breaks the camel's back and they show up in your office, in your clinic. Yeah, absolutely. None of this happens overnight. And I, I completely agree with you. And I, um, I'd love Judy to continue to work on maybe a clinical panel. I know you introduced a lot of complex, you know, thoughts and, you know, there's not a straightforward test, but more these patterns that we can recognize to see this, um, retroviral expression. But I know Dr. Klinghart, um, you know, would love that too. And the Pacific biomarkers lab, and that's fun that they're in Seattle, but maybe we can you know, work together with them to create a clinically useful panel that's maybe not too complex. So a lot more clinicians can be, um, you know, trying to identify and and treat this. So I I think that would be, um, you know, much needed. And then, um, Judy, you you mentioned, I just want to, you know, make sure nobody lost um, these ideas, but obviously when we're looking at how to silence the retroviruses, you mentioned a a few really um, helpful and useful tools. So um, obviously cannabis that has the THC, but not using it in a a form that's smoked, but using in suppository or tincture or um, a clean source. 
You had shared with me the um, the uh, CBD suppositories that have been working really well for some of our patients. So I'm excited to um, get to know that product more. Um, and then the Chinese skull cap, the Baikal skull cap, which is um, you know more and more available. There's a tincture, and then there's powdered extract. Do you have a, a preference? Well, I use powdered extracts because they're. Um, uh, you know, they're validated signal agent to be free from contaminants. So as long as you've got a sheet on it and you understand um, what's in it, because there's a lot of scutal area. And that's why I always say Georgi, because our experiments were done with that one. And so, you know, do experiments in the lab in the in the natural products divisions of the Cancer Institute where I worked for the 22 years. When we do those, we, we don't do whole plant extracts in general. We work our way from whole plants all the way to the purified material with the most activity. And so um, so I tend to use more purified things or semi-purified things. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, we do have several brands that we endorse as we know they, that patients and doctors find them valuable. Um, again, is, if I have a certification sheet that says there's um, no heavy metals, no mold, mycoplasma, endotoxin, mm -hmm. you know, we, we test for endotoxin in, in, in all drugs, and yet we're injecting endotoxin, which turns on the TLRs and everything, you know, just sends everything screaming in the vasculature is a real problem of LPS. And so, um, uh, you know, testing for endotoxin in any product is really important. So we tend to do that. Um, and I can, I can certainly, what we tend to do is tell you which we have found um, to be beneficial and we haven't found any pot contamination that we're aware of. So we try to put the cleanest sources available that we can endorse as either having worked with or close colleagues have worked with. Um, so those are the formulations I like. I also shared with you uh, a formulation of um, cannabis where we, where we um, the, the CEO of the company actually mixed it um, with um, with various things like scutellary. There's some skullcap, there's some turmeric. So the idea of taking advantage of what they, they call adaptogen. So, so helping the immune system with the synergies formulate it all into a product. So, so that company is called C2C Life Sciences and they're here in California and the CEO is Andrew Serafini. And that was the one I sent you called Reduce mm -hmm. and then they're called Attack. Um, and, and some patients are finding those combinations. So it's, it's CBD with no THC whatsoever, but it's taking other plants that modulate that hematopoietic stem cell. So I don't need the THC in states where laws that won't let me use it. So I, I take advantage of my, my, my knowledge of the chemistry and the inflammatory markers, um, and other things that modulate those that we can put into formulations or into protocols and just use CBDs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that was a great recommendation and we're going to continue to explore that. And then you had mentioned, um, IV vitamin C that I know a lot of holistic doctors have used, um, you know, it's widely available. Most people can get it no matter where they live. Um, um, so that's great. Another use of IV vitamin C. So rumen is not available in the, it's not in the PDR, I believe in, um, the U S but, uh, so rumen obviously has a lot of promise. Is there anything that was an interesting recommend, um, 
discussion about the the charge um and that's why it kind of mops up if you will the um what the retroviruses are doing to that um you know affecting the charge of the cell are there any other um substances you've played around with i know that you know there's this idea of hydrogen water now or any like biophysics tools or anything else that can help with re-regulating this dysregulated charge of the retroviruses set in place well certainly the deuterium Mm, um, that's a good point. The lithium is a big deal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In combination with can- cannabinoids can find a bit of benefit. So, um, because again, it's charged, positively charged. So, um, quercetin, um, thinking back through my little brain of 30 or 40 years, that doesn't work. <laughs> you got a lot in there, Judy. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny because at the time you don't even recognize. So it's nice that I've had a lot of time to sit around and think about it um, over these last decade of being unemployed. Um, so um, <laughs> unemployable, I should say. Um, but it's it's nice because I I just I just sit at my computer and when you give me a topic, I, I can search in in different ways and and look at old literature in new ways. And so um, this is why I mentioned Mike Leonardo because with I know that a lot of the patients have a problem with EBV. Mm-hmm. Um, so EBV is, is, is something that was a big problem in HIV. So that was one of the AIDS-associated malignancies. So the herpes viruses in the crosstalk, well, Mike Leonardo has written um, a number of papers now on those minerals, zinc, calcium, and things, and how EBV crosstalk dysregulation, HIV, can, 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 can cause these diseases. And we found genetic susceptibilities. So I should mention there are genetic susceptibilities to hand. Everybody does get it that's infected with HIV. There's genetic susceptibilities um, to EBV associated, the disease called X-Men. And that's where it was found that a magnesium transporter, that it wasn't the NK cell, it couldn't work because the transporter of the magnesium didn't work well. So what he found, what he found bypassed that genetic defect in the NK cell transporter was magnesium 3 and 8. So some people have found help in the magnesium three and eight. So it's, you know, all magnesium isn't created equal and too much of a good thing is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like with, just like with folates and DNA methylation machinery and things, the, the vitamin Bs, we do a lot in the cannabis place with camel milk mm-hmm. and hump fat. Mm-hmm. The camel milk and hump fat, I make a lot of skin formulations with hump fat, very rich in some B vitamins and um, very rich in zinc and other things. So if I give the signaling molecules um, and, and proteins and lactoferrins and things people are allergic of because of vaccine contaminants, um, I'll, I'll be able to take advantage of the synergies, especially at a skin level. Um, but it also has the nanobodies that go right directly through the brain. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very important to have the nanobodies. How do people get camel milk these days? Well, there are several sources. There's a Michigan consortium. Um, DesertFarms.com is one I've used in the past. Some people like them. Some people don't. I My source, my go-to source for information on camel milk is um, 
uh, a smelter in Texas, in Austin, Texas, and I'll give you that contact. But again, uh, there the, are a lot of the products in Desert Farms I've used. I use the one from Desert Farms in the hump fat, um, and, and I've done the Michigan. I'm a member. We are. Mark Inc. is a member of the Michigan Camel's Milk Association. So it's essentially just um, there, there are three or four sources in the country. Um, they get backed up. The health benefit, but those nanobodies are just so, so, so go through the blood-brain barrier. So before I would ever use IVIG, which is pooled plasma and things like that, which can be contaminated with everything we've talked about today, mm -hmm. especially retroviruses, IVIG was strongly CVID com combined variable immune deficiency was a was an early step in the march toward the cancers, in the march toward the diseases. So when those immunoglobins get messed up, the B cell nature of the insertional mutagenesis of the of the retrovirus. Um, you really need to replace them, and IVIG is not the answer. You've educated us on your concern, and I know there are a lot of um, people in the chronic illness world get that recommendation because, um, you know, not many people, you know, not many practitioners know how to um, treat it this more elegantly, right? Um, so, well, Judy, I, I think you probably have everyone who's listening, their heads spinning right now. I myself am going to listen to this again because you just um, gave us so, so much great information and I'll have to have you on, you know, the podcast again, as I know this work continues, continues to evolve. But I, I just really want to thank you for your, your efforts. I know this journey has not been easy and you've been um, so committed to um, having integrity and really, you know, helping people, um, you know, with this, uh, you know, such, such um, important information. So I just, you know, want to give you a deep bow of gratitude for all that you're doing to, you know, fight to get the science, um, you know, to the public. Well, thanks so much, Christine. I can't tell you how much it means that that you and Dr. Klinghardt have picked up and, and others now because of your efforts um, in treating people because all we really want to do is, and all we've ever wanted to do was, was stop it, was fix it, prevent it. And we know how and we have the tools. We just need um, clinicians like yourself with the vision and, and, and the, the willingness to try um, to, to help us achieve our life long goals as well mm -hmm. well thank you so much judy and how can people find out more about you and your your work and if um they wanted to connect um with the resources that you've shared uh today um, well, most people connect us through our website, which is markinc.org, M-A-R-C is in Charles, I-N-C is in Charles. So it's just Mikevitz and Rossetti Consulting Incorporated. It's just Mikevitz and Rossetti. <laughs> <laughs> and a few lovely people who help us with things like websites and things we can't do. Um, uh, but, and, and, and we just, we answer as many as we can. Um, I come to Carlsbad, so markinc.org. I come to Carlsbad um, and there's an info at and it comes directly to my mailbox and and I know people are out there saying I wrote you a month ago I try <laughs> <laughs> 
anybody back. Um, sometimes the, the low hanging fruit. So if you wrote me before, I remember a couple over the Christmas holidays and I appreciate the severity of it. Um, uh, 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 some Gardasil injury and things like that. What do I do? Um, and, and I didn't get back to this young man yet because I got a few thousand emails since that time and I'm trying to find that. So if I haven't answered you a few days, write me again. Don't be, <laughs> don't be shy because in, in this case, the squeaky wheel gets the, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, there is a phone number on the website. That is our office in Carlsbad. Um, that phone number is not one that will get answered very often because you have to get lucky and I have to be sitting here and, and Dr. Rossetti and I are rarely in this office more than two days a week. And when we are in the phone rings, we don't answer it because so there is a there is a recording on it. But I've um, I'm not learned how to use the voicemail. So. Um, contact me through email um, and um, when you contact me through email the most one of the most important things to tell me especially on an endocannabinoid question or a cannabis phytocannabinoid on treating with cannabinoids is what state are you in and um, because I can't even begin and so if you if you want you know if you want to get on a Skype or a call I will uh um, we can arrange that. So, and I'll give you my cell phone number, as you know, and, and people can contact me and we'll try to set up something. We don't tend to charge anything. Um, um, just because it's, it's information, you know, freely available and our only job is putting it together. We're not practitioners. We endorse things. We help. We work with people like you as much as possible. Um, you know, we're not MDs and, and, and we're most, a lot of our work is in vaccine court and they say, oh, you're practicing without a license. No, we're not. People and they are they they want to pay for our services and um so um we 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 work the best we can to um just get these evaluations and we look very detailed and we try to find clinicians in your neighborhood to work with you um so that so that we can um you know expedite healing and teach more because as we teach clinicians um which is the goal of our company it's an education company so marking.org mikevitz and rossetti are just about um educating physicians in all of these topics mm-hmm. well we'll put all of that information on on your website and how to reach out to you um, in the show notes and again judy i cannot thank you enough for your time and your dedication and we look forward to learning more from you this year and hopefully together creating, um, you know, more innovative strategies so people can really get well. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. You made it to the end. I know this was a really jam-packed, informative podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Please share this information with anyone that you know who may be struggling and who may benefit from this information. My goal is to share what we are learning on the front lines of chronic disease and really share that um, with more people in our community. And I would love, love, love to hear your feedback, your recommendations, um, anything that you would like me to know or anyone that you'd like me to consider interviewing. Um, My email that you can connect with us at is info at drchristineschaffner.com. And thank you so much for listening.